everybody, and welcome back to another week of the Animation Broadcast and Cinema Show. My name is Bo Allen. I'm Jacob Rodier. And we are here to talk to you about all things Ladybird this week. Uh, but before then, we are going to start with uh, probably the biggest and best news from this weekend is that Dune was released internationally, not everywhere yet, but in I think about 12 markets so far, just some sit a few cities in um, a few con- in a few countries, not American markets yet, obviously, um, and it's doing really well. It's done thirty seven million nine hundred thousand so far worldwide. Yeah, definitely surpassed expectations so far. Um, yeah, it's I mean, which is a great indicator because it's not coming out here until October twenty second, I believe. Yeah, October twenty second is the date for that. And it's going to get a huge kick. And it should, I mean, what, what do you think the opening weekend here will be like? How much do you think that'll do if you had to give it, put a number on it? Yeah, I don't know. Because I think they, the inter, they released it internationally on purpose before it released in the American markets. Well, obviously on purpose. But they did it as like a strategy right. because it's going to release on HBO the same day. So they know it's going to get pirated and they know that that international is going to pirate it. So I think they released it in theaters before so they can get more uh, people in the seats internationally. And then once it comes to America, uh, it probably will digress a little bit, but all the international markets have already seen it. So, um, You know, I think... So Shang-Chi is the... I think it's the highest opener so far, um, opening weekend. No, no movie has crossed the $100 million opening weekend yet i don't think mm-hmm. um yeah the closest i think to come uh has been shang chi and uh even though dune's gonna be on hbo i still think that this could be the one that does a hundred million opening weekend in the u.s domestically yeah i think it has a chance um but yeah i don't know the, the hbo is the only thing that scares me but We'll see. I think it does have enough star power. They have been doing a decent amount of marketing, but I don't think it's a lot because when I've been going to theaters, I haven't seen one trailer for it in theaters. I don't know about you. Um, no, but I... Not recently over the summer, but I'm pretty sure I saw a trailer for it or a teaser for it when I went and saw Tenet in August of last year. Yeah, I saw and it then, then too. The first movie I've seen... I saw in 2021 was Nobody, the Bob Odenkirk movie. And I think it had a trailer there because I remember seeing the sandworm on the big screen and being like, holy shit, this is going to be amazing when this movie actually comes out. Um, so they, they definitely have... I, they, I think they pulled the trailers on purpose, though. Because I think by now, you know, everybody knows about this movie. Everybody's heard about a Dennis Villeneuve movie. That has Timothy Chalamet, and Oscar Isaacs, and Daya Jason Momoa, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Javier Bardem. I mean, Dave Bautista. It's a huge cast. Uh, pretty much everybody on the front IMDb pages, you you know who they are. Yeah. Um. It, that in itself, I think, and the word of mouth is enough marketing. Plus, it's been one of the most talked about movies for what the last two years. It feels like. 
Yeah, and also I remember seeing, I follow Zendaya and uh, Chalamet on Instagram, and I remember, I forget which film festival it was, it might have been Venice, but I remember they're always just posting pics about it, posting like yep. the poster of the movie, so they're obviously doing a lot of marketing on their side too. Right, and they have I mean tons that, of followers. that stuff is also, at, at this point, I mean that's almost more important than anything else. I mean, I feel like... With the Spider-Man, uh, the newer Spider-Man movies, Zendaya and Tom Holland's Instagrams are what people look at the most for news on that. Right. Um, like the Marvel thing, like the activity on social media is like what people look at to like try and decipher new rumors and stuff. Like they don't, they don't need the marketing. They're so big at this point that like they can save their money and let us hype ourselves up about it. Yeah. I mean, I really hope it does well. And also, I know they're they're pushing IMAX a lot, and obviously people are going to want to see it on a bigger screen, and usually IMAX and, like, all, like, the, the spinoffs, like, like, BTX or whatever, they always usually are, like, mm-hmm. a couple bucks more, so that obviously helps with box office, too. Yeah, I'm seeing it in IMAX. Um, Hell yeah. And, I mean, yeah, and Villanui is constantly saying this has got to be seen on a movie theater screen. Yeah, he's pushing it hard. The, uh, yeah, everyone I, I've I, talked to about it, too, has said they're going to go to theaters to see it. I haven't heard anyone say they're going to watch it on HBO or on their TV. Mm-mm. And, I mean, whether or not that uh, ends up happening, you know, so the, uh, the people saying they might go see, they're going to go see it in theaters might just start feeling lazy after a big Saturday night or something and not go on Sunday. Um <laughs> But I feel like people want that experience, and I feel like this. Uh, we, we've said, I feel like I, we've, I've said this a bunch. This is going to be the movie that finally gets people to go back to movie theaters. But I really feel like this will be the biggest one that gets people to go back to movie theaters. And there's a few coming out even before then, like No Time to Die. I think could be one that gets a lot of people back. Right. They'll um, probably show the trailer before that. Yeah, there should be. Uh, if they're that, what they really need to do is, and we're going to get to the October slate, but the three weeks of October before, um, or it's actually, it's, yeah, it's like three weeks of October before, uh, Dune comes out. There's two or three huge movies coming out that they should push really hard with trailers. Yeah. I'm sure they're going to go hard in October, but yeah, I think it definitely does have a chance of doing super well at box office and the reviews came out too, and they've all been super positive and that always helps. Yeah. They're great. Um, the Metacritic for it, I haven't looked at the Rotten Tomatoes because I don't like Rotten Tomatoes, but the Metascore for it, which is just the compilation of all the you know scores that critics give it, uh, puts it at a 75 average, and IMDb rating has it at an 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, yeah. And yeah, all the um, buzz internationally, too, just from audiences have been great, too. So people are uh, liking this movie. Just this is I, I, I don't even have this on the uh, schedule uh, for the show, but just looking at this list, like I keep trying to think like what the possible best picture nominees would be, and I can't figure it out. I think it's too early. I think these next few months are going to be jam packed with but stuff. When's the cutoff? Um, because what well, Oscars are in March, or usually they delay it. I think it was in April this past one. April, yes. May. Um, so I don't know if that changed the cutoff, but it's usually in, like, January, I think. Right, so uh, 
this year they are in March. Okay. Um, and the cutoff, but oh, so, it, it ha- I looked it up. It's extended until it used to be December thirty first. Right. So, but now it's February twenty eighth. February twenty eighth. So there's so, still yeah. time, I guess. Yeah. Because if it was December thirty first, like I'm looking at this, thinking there's there's no time for any more. I mean, big 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 stuff to be announced, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's I think um that, what came out this weekend, tw- the Tammy Faye movie. I know Jessica Chastain yeah. is getting a lot of buzz for that. Um, I think PTA's movie is probably gonna be pretty big for Oscars. French Dispatch. French Dispatch. Um. Last Duel and House of Gucci are going to make noise. Hey, maybe uh, Cry Macho will make it. Uh, well, we can get to that in a second. That, that, um, actually, yeah, let's get let's do that right now. I don't want to step on our on our October stuff. Um, so I saw Cry Macho. I'm guessing yeah. you have not. I have not. How was it? It's on HBO, man. Just watch it. Can't go All wrong. Right. It's, you, okay, it's I'll get around to it. It is. It is what you would expect from Clint Eastwood, which is why I wanted to have the Clint Eastwood conversation because he is a filmmaker and an actor who does, he just does what he's going to do. Right. It, it, which is the simplest way to put it. A lot of, I think, and especially recently, recently with the Marvel format and everything, I feel like a lot of filmmakers have like changed their style to, you know, have, you know, bigger stories that are going to like keep, keep you in your seat for two hours and not make you question why you're watching a two hour long movie. But cry macho is an hour, 40 minutes. It is a slower pace Western movie at like the it's, it's literally just the pure definition of a Western. It's a guy going to get a kid from Mexico and bring him back to the States to his dad who owns a massive ranch. And there's like some, uh, like some gangster Mexican gangster members or whatever that are trying to get the kid back and then you find out oh the dad might not be the best guy ever and it's a pretty typical conflict I feel like and um, it's just the, it's a, the type of movie Clint Eastwood makes he doesn't need to make it huge it's a pretty small contained story about a 91 year old man how was his I mean, acting? It's good. I mean, Clint, so here uh, here's another thing with the, with Clint Eastwood that I found so interesting. He's never, I don't think he's ever even been nominated for a Best Actor, even though he's turned in some pretty good performances. Oh wow! But here's the thing: I was that Cry Macho had, actually had me thinking about because I was looking at it and I was thinking, has he ever actually really been a good actor, or does he just have amazing presence? That's a good question. Yeah, I think. I think it's more his presence, um, because yeah, he doesn't really push himself in the characters Mm-mm. he chooses. I think he stays the one pretty surface level for most of them. Right, the one he's probably pushed himself the most in, I would say, is something like Million Dollar Baby, because that is a really emotional role, and he's not. I I can't think of that and like uh, three bit. Uh, What's the Bridges of Madison County? I almost said three billboards. Uh, <laughs> Bridges of Madison County. Um, he's done it a couple of times, and he's good at it. Um, it's just he doesn't do it often. And this one is a little bit more emotional, but it is still very, like, stoic, uh, 
I feel like he's acted like an old man ever since he was young. Um, yeah, I think we said this last podcast, but once he reached like a certain age, I don't know what age it was, but he just kind of stayed the same after that. So he's kind of had three different careers. He had the, you know, Sergio Leone movies, the face of the West, like, you know, I'm a cowboy, I'm going to you know, ride the course, shoot him, and I'm going to act and be in these spaghetti westerns where nobody's speaking the same language and everybody dubs their lines, and I'm going to get this check and I'm going to be one of the fo- most famous men in America. And then at a certain point, he decides, all right, I'm going to have a new career. I'm still going to be in front of the camera, but I'm going to be behind it too. I've been around this industry enough. I know how to direct a good western. And then he branches out into more and more stuff and starts making all sorts of different genres. And he does like, uh, what was the one? He has In the Line of Fire, which I think is the last movie he's been in that he didn't direct. And then after that, he does Unforgiven. Um, and, or no, Unforgiven was right, was the year before actually. So Unforgiven, I feel like, is where his career changed into what Mm. it is now it is unforgiven feels like the movie that is the send-off honestly it's about a retired gunfighter having to go for like one last ride he was like 60 when he made that movie yeah it's crazy that he's been acting since the 50s right it was night he got his first role or his first big role in rawhide in 1958 yeah it's unreal so he in 1992, at 60 years old, made a movie that seemed like a retirement movie. And at 60, that seems normal. And then he just kept going. That's so... That's insane. And going, and going, and going. And he's won Oscars doing it. Yeah. And I feel like each one of these Oscars is like the send-off Oscar. But it's not. He just keeps doing it. Yeah, I was reading an article, I think, from... He did an interview with the LA Times after Cry Macho came out. He was kind of talking mm-hmm. about his... He was, like, reflecting on his career and all that. And they asked him, like, are you, are you going to make movies after this? Like, you're 91 years old. Like, are you going to retire? And he said... Um, I have the quote. He said, um, what the hell am I still working for in my 90s? Are people going to start throwing tomatoes at you? I've gotten to the point where I wondered if that was enough, but not to the point where I decided it was you roll out a few turkeys they'll tell you soon enough so he's basically saying he's gonna keep making movies as long as people keep buying tickets so i mean yeah i bought i didn't even i didn't go see it um in i didn't watch it on hbo max i watched it in theaters and i actually am pretty happy about that it looked it looked good but there's also points where you're like all right this guy's 90 like one of the most intense parts of the movie is like the car is leaking gas, and he bends down to look at it. And you're like, oh, is he going to get back up? Oh, God. <laughs> it, it, I was genuinely thought, don't bend down, Clint. Don't bend over. He's, like, holding He's, his back. He's like, Ugh. Oh, yeah. He looks fantastic for 91, though. I will say that. Well, he's probably wearing a lot of makeup. That's true, but I'm also going to give him the benefit of the doubt, because I love Clint. I've been doing a deep dive on his movies. So, uh... And in, in partially for this, because I wanted to have the Clint Eastwood talk, and partially just because I like Clint Eastwood movies. They're they're entertaining. You're never you know what you're gonna get, and you walk away feeling very satisfied. Like, um, and he 
he's always playing like a super masculine character, right? Like he's every girl in every movie he's ever in wants to sleep with him. And that still happens in Cry Macho. It's weird watching these two very attractive women throw themselves at 91-year-old Clint Eastwood. Wait, how old are the women? They're like, well, they're kind of middle-aged, so it makes a little bit more sense. Like one of them's like probably 40s and the other one's probably 60s but you're still like what that's Um, a 40 year age gap (laughs) right and you're still you're still like what and so um he also looks so frail but that's part of i think what this movie is and that's why i honestly thought it would be his last one i guess it's not going to be unless he kicks the bucket Um, i mean i'm pretty sure this is doing like decent at box office so um as long as he's making money i mean as long as he's making a little money I'm sure he's going to keep making it. That's what it seems like from this article. Well, I like to think it's for the love of the game, which I'm sure also part of it is. Like, what else would he do? Yeah, like, no, if you're 91, he's also, he's he has plenty of money, I'm sure. I'm sure he's set on that. So I don't think money's the biggest factor in this. He's he's spent more, like, more than well more than 50% of his life making movies. Right. He's that's this is all he knows. He he puts out a new movie like every year and a half. Is he? The, I think he is the oldest actor or director working today, right? Because what Scorsese is eighty-five. I think Scorsese is eighty-five. If there is a ninety-two-year-old director out there, I would be shocked. Yeah, I don't think so. I think Scorsese is probably the next oldest. Um. Oh, Redford's up there, right? How old's Redford? Let's see. Um. He's not 90s. He is. Oh, he's 85. Okay. So, yeah, getting close. But I think he's looking to retire. I think I read, too. Yeah, he says that, and then he's going to go be in another Marvel movie. So Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, it's Scorsese but, is 78. So, yeah, not even close. Um, But I, with this Cry Macho movie, I feel like this was like a therapeutic one for him because it is about and uh, I guess he's done this a few times though but it is very much about a guy who and they talk about his body is failing him he's nowhere near the man he used to be he might still be on the inside but he can't do the things he used to and this is like and then he's he's got this young kid with him throughout the entire movie and the kid's always talking about you know how important it is to just act tough and act manly and act macho all the time and Clint Eastwood is like hey man listen uh, like hear it from me first I was about all that and then you quickly learn after a certain age like that doesn't mean shit and I was like that's a very kind of deep message for Clint Eastwood to like settle in with at this age because he's I mean he's even in uh the mule like he's still like this very much like tough guy kind of thing and then in this story he's choosing to tell one about this guy who admits that like no matter how macho you act it's not it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter how macho you act it's like more about what you do and how you treat people and stuff yeah i mean he's made yeah he's made so many movies at this point and he's 91 years old at this point the stories he's telling is going to be like super reflective about his life they're all going to be a little philosophical He's going to get a little deep like that because he's reaching the end of his life. I think each one of these that he does, like, at this stage, is that. Like, is that on purpose? He Because I bet he realized that a while ago, but 
he's like, I want my in memoriam to be like, <laughs> at the, and at the end of his life, he realized what mattered most was not how you acted, but what you did. Like, <laughs> yeah, it sounds about right. This is um, crazy. I was just looking up his kids. His oldest daughter is 63 years old. That's oh, insane. Oh, God. He has eight how kids, is, by the way, which is awesome. How crazy. old is Scott? Scott Eastwood, 35. I just looked it up first. Yep. You want to talk about no presence? Oh, man. I feel like none Scott, of them have any presence. Well, Scott Eastwood, and I was, <laughs> I was listening to... Um, what are the big Scott Eastwood movies? He was in a Fast and Furious movie, but he was also in another one. The Suicide Squad. Oh, he's terrible in The Suicide Squad. Wait, in the new one or the old one? The old one. Okay. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I didn't recognize him in the new one. So I was listening to this podcast called We Hate Movies, which is a great one. It's hilarious, and they were talking about Suicide Squad, and they said, I bet Clint Eastwood watched that Suicide Squad movie, then... T- then turned on fistful of dollars in his like a hundred by a hundred foot theater room with <laughs> like on his massive screen and he goes he goes Scott you see how I'm not talking but your eyes still drawn to me that's called <laughs> presence <laughs> yeah it's giving him Scott lessons. Eastwood they were talking about F nine they said you could replace Scott Eastwood with a car and it would be the same and it was right they're right. He's terrible. It, dri- it drives me insane. And I'm like, how are you, Clint Eastwood's son? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also hard to live up to Clint Eastwood, but still. It is, but you'd expect a little bit. I guess it's yeah. like Michael Jordan's sons like weren't good at basketball. Like, mm, right. <laughs> like <laughs> Your expectations are so high, but... I mean, it's also like um, Tom Hanks' son, Chet Hank. Chet, right? Chet's his name? Well, yeah, but the other one isn't terrible. Well, no, so. the other one, the other one's great. He has like a really good or a solid acting career so far. Yeah. Um, but Chet, he went the complete opposite direction. Oh, Chet. He started oh, what God. his rap career right now or something? I don't know what he's doing right now. Um, oh God, he was ta- he was the dude who tried to start White Boy Summer. Yeah, ridiculous. Hmm. He's got the fucking it's Illuminati tatted on his chest. Yeah, and he speaks in, like, the Jamaican accent. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Scott Eastwood's gone down that route, so he's got something going for him. That is, yes, at least he's not, uh, <laughs> at least he's not uh, Chet Hanks. That's, that's <laughs> yes. something we can all be very grateful for. Um so I we started this topic and I uh, abruptly cut it off because uh, you know I wanted to save it for right before the break. Um, October, that's when we're supposed to be hitting our stride in movie releases. I need two of the big ones for you. Can't say Dune. All right. Um, first, well, actually, first before I say my October movies, um, yesterday I saw. Ghost in the Shell, the 1995 version. Oh, yeah. My bad. Um, no, it's all good. Um, but I saw it in IMAX. Uh, it was, I guess, the 25th anniversary because in America it came out in 96. So this year is mm-hmm. the 25th. Um, but it was crazy. It was me and my friend. We were the only ones in the theater, which was awesome, in this huge oh, IMAX yeah. theater. Um, I've never seen an anime in, or I don't think any animated movie in IMAX, which was such a like crazy experience. Um 
But it was a really cool movie, and I would highly recommend it for anyone who hasn't seen it. I have not seen the remake with Scarlett Johansson, but um, this movie was awesome. It throws a lot at you. It's very confusing. It's only an hour and 20 minutes, which is cool, too. Very short movie. Um, it was very Blade Runner-esque, so, Bo, you would definitely like it. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely has Blade Runner vibes. Um, but, yeah, it was a really cool movie and really cool to see in IMAX. And I got a free poster from it afterwards, which is cool. Oh, that's awesome. Um, it's not showing anywhere near me, unfortunately. I think it was only this weekend. It's crazy. I saw an article on it um, two days ago, and I literally just reached out to my friend and be like, we have to go see this because it's only in theaters for one more day. It is It is showing uh, tomorrow in Atlanta. So, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to make that drive. Um, no, yeah. I don't say you have to see it in IMAX, but it's definitely worth a watch. It is IMAX. I'm actually kind of thinking about it right now. But, yeah, I, the I've... I mean, I've seen stills of it before, especially when the remake was coming out. Yeah. And people were just like, are you kidding me? We're going from one of the greatest but honestly, when I, movies. When I watched it, um, I literally thought this would be sick as live action. But I guess it wasn't. I haven't seen it, but well, you probably say I mean, otherwise. I don't think they like put as much care into it as they should is the yeah. biggest problem. Because definitely, I definitely can see it translating to live action. But obviously... Animated and anime is just a whole different realm. You could do so much well, more. If you're gonna do that, you need to get like Ridley Scott to build Blade Runner sets for you again. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely had a big Blade Runner vibe. I think, oh yeah, Blade Runner came out before this movie, so it probably has yes. an influence. Um, or get, I mean, Denis Villeneuve did uh, the Blade Runner remake, and his looked awesome. Yeah, yeah, this movie, yeah, that's some really cool world building. It was obviously beautiful to look at in IMAX. So yeah, I definitely recommend. But yeah, so for my October movies, um, I'm going to go with Last Night in Soho because I haven't seen one second of anything from that movie. Uh, no trailer. I, I saw the poster with um, Anya Taylor-Joy on it. Um, but that's it. That's all I've seen. So I literally know nothing about this movie besides it's Edgar Wright. I, I remember it played during like every movie I saw recently, so I had to... Close my eyes or look you at my phone. You closed the eyes. Oh, no. I, didn't, I didn't close my eyes. I, I bent down, looked at my phone, didn't look up, and just yeah. So I didn't see anything. Um, but it's gonna be worth it because I have no idea. So I'm really excited for that one, and I'll definitely be there uh, opening weekend. Um, I was gonna say Jackass, but Jackass moved to February now. Oh God, don't get me. I'm so sad. You're sad. I'm so oh, you sad. saw it delayed. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I love the Jackass movies. Yeah, man. they're, they're I'm amazing. There on, I'm going to be there opening night. They're legends. And, like, you got to go, like, an opening weekend just so you have, like, a full house when you watch it. Oh, I hope it is a packed crowd. Because that's a movie you got to see with so many people. It's just it's going to be a joyous experience for everyone. I'm going to get as many of my friends as I can, and we're going to scream and maybe get drunk. Because I don't remember, I mean, I definitely, the last, like, sold-out movies I've seen have been, like, probably Endgame was, like, the last one where I saw, like, a full crowd, everyone was super hyped, but I haven't seen a sold-out comedy in, like, forever. Oh, Even yeah. just, like, a packed comedy in forever. So, I, I miss those experiences where it's just a full house and everyone's laughing, it's just such a good time. I mean, the closest thing to, like, sold-out comedies we really get are Marvel movies because of the amount of jokes they're putting in those now. Yeah, but that's not comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I'm just being, I'm being in it. You got a few ass. chuckles here and there. Yeah. That's about it. Um, I don't know. You, you go, you go next. I'll think of my last one. All right. Um, 
I'm going to go ahead and take no time to die off the board for you. Mm, <laughs> because okay. that is going to be it's going to be sweet. I mean, the tra- that I've seen trailers for, it looks fantastic. Um I mean, it's been a two-year wait so far, right? Two-year wait. Daniel Craig teared up when they wrapped. Um, I'm going to tear up when it ends because Daniel Craig is the freaking man. And I've loved what his series has been except for Spectre. I'm on the note of, on the record, hating Spectre. Yeah, um, I wasn't a big fan either. But outside of that movie, it's, I mean, it's hard to make consistent Bond movies. It really is. Um... And he's done it spectacularly well. If they stick the landing with this one, I'm, I'm happy as a clam, and it looks great. I, it, it's and it's got a Billy Billy Eilish singing the Bond the song for this one. Like it's, it's it's speaking my language right now. I used to have a lot of hype for this movie when they first started announcing it, but I think just because they've been pushing it in our faces so much, I've just been like, eh, okay, like I'll go see it. But I'm still, I, I'm still kind of excited for it. Just like, I don't know, I've just seen so much of it in like the right. past two years. So I'm just like, all right, whatever. When I walked out of Cry Macho, um, I, it's been there since, it's been there for a while, but I just noticed it for the first time. In my theater, there's a massive, like, 007 Daniel Craig standing there with the gun, like, cardboard cutout. It's huge. And I just noticed for the first time that at the bottom it says April 2021. I was like, oh, God, that was a date for it. Yeah, uh, there was some trailer, I forget, it might have been Bond, um, that was in theaters, and it said the wrong date at the end, and I was like, they didn't even care to change it. Oh, no. <laughs> but, oh, whatever. All right, um, have you got yours yet, or do you need I me to do. again? Yeah, I got a, I got an underdog. Um, so I, I haven't seen, I've seen part of the trailer, because I think it went a little viral, um, on social media, but the new A twenty four movie Lamb, which comes out October eighth, pick this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean it fits the A twenty four theme of the month right now. But, right. Um, I I saw the the clip of the Lamb, uh, walking on two legs with the person holding hands. <laughs> I was just like, all is right, it, this is all I need it, to know. Is it a Lamb that I am so confused by what that movie is going to be about? Yeah, I don't know if it's, like, horror or thriller or, like, a drama. I have a feeling, based on, like, the posters and what I've read about it, it seems to be... I think it's going to be more like The Witch, where it's, like, a slow build-up over time. That's Kind of like with witch. a lot of A24 movies. The Witch is a, is, a, is a stay tuned and a half for this podcast. Yeah, um, but I think it's going to be one of those, where it's going to be, like... It's going to be a slow burn the whole way they're gonna ease you into it and then hit you with the what the fuck at the end oh i'm thinking about it right now and it's creeping me out that thing looks that thing looks weird man (laughs) it looks so weird so i'm so excited it's different nothing ever like it so i'm going through the a24 like list right now on letterboxd and just looking at like the other horror movies that we can hit next month oh man oh yeah i got we need, we either need to do it on the show or just the two of us. We need, we've never really had a full Saint Maud conversation. There's a lot oh. to unpack with that movie. Yes, I want to watch that movie again too. I need to. Um, all right, I have a lot of things I could go with here, but I also think we're gonna cover more of the October uh, slate next week when it's uh, actually a week out from starting. But the one I'm gonna go with out of all these fantastic Wait, choices, can I guess what? 
Yeah, you know what I'm going to do. Venom. Yes, Venom, <laughs> let there be carnage. Finally. Venom. I've been waiting. I love the first one. It is so stupid and kind of bad. And I <laughs> I enjoyed the first it. one, too. It was good. It's it was great. Funny. It's it's funny. It's got good action. And we got Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy, baby. Come on. Tom Hardy had so much fun with the first role. Oh, he did. And that's that's what I like in comic movies is when people are having fun you and clearly enjoy what they're doing and enjoy the character they're playing. Yeah. No, it was, the, it's a solid movie. I'll definitely check out the second one. The worst superhero movies are ones where it looks like the actor, it's like a chore for this actor to play the character. Yeah, or when they try too hard or it's like too serious. It's just like, yep. eh, like what are you doing? Um, I mean, it looks great, and the carnage looks amazing. Um, the uh, so on IMDb, it's listed as um, an hour and a half, but I heard it was shorter than that. And I was like, if we're doing an hour and twenty minute movie, oh, it is an hour and twenty minutes because the hour and a half counts the credits, which are super long. You know, when there's a ton of CGI and there's mm-hmm. two end credit scenes. So now we're in 20 minutes. Now I'm a little scared. <laughs> Why? I don't... It's, can, can you do a, a good Venom movie in an hour and 20 minutes? I think the they... One? I think hour 20 is good because they know they don't want to uh, extend their time they don't need to, you know? Like, they don't need to put in, like, the fluff. It's probably just going to be, yeah. like, straight-up action and comedy for the, the whole thing. It's going to be nice and tight. All right. Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, I guess, yeah, the more the merrier, but I'm fine with an hour 20. Yeah, I'm just, I uh, I saw people very skeptical about it. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it's... I don't know. I, I think, think it's going to be, be tight. Right. Yeah, I'm pumped by it. All right. Um, I, that's all I ha- all we have left, I think. I think we're ready to move on to our Ladybird discussion. Let's do it. I'm ready if you are. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will be right back with Lady Bird. Hey, everybody. It's Bo here to tell you about our sponsor, Album Book Club. It is a book club, but, you know, for albums. And uh, they have weekly picks that they put out on their Twitter, at Album Book Club 1, and they... Uh, have curators that choose picks week by week. Uh, it can range from hip-hop to bluegrass to death metal to indie to pop. It's all over the place. Uh, it's a great way to discover new music. I've been following them and working with them for quite some time. They also put out their magazines on albumbookclub.com. They just put out an issue with Osar and Paris Price. They have great merch over there. It's all great-looking stuff. Um, Definitely check them out. Give the Twitter a follow. Give the page um, a look. It's great stuff. You're not going to be disappointed. Good way to discover music. Let's get back to the movie. And welcome back. We are here now to talk about our poll winner of the week, Lady Bird. You want to tell us a little bit about the background here? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was going to read the IMDb synopsis, but it's the most basic synopsis I've ever heard. I'll read it just because it's funny. So it is, 
In 2002, an artistically inclined 17-year-old girl comes of age in Sacramento, California. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's also a terrible summary of what this movie is actually about. Yeah, I mean, granted, this movie doesn't really have like a, a full plot or anything, but still, you can do better than that. Like, come on. So um, I'll read uh, what Letterbox yeah. says because there's a little better. Um, a California high school student plans to escape from her family and small town by going to college in New York, much to the disapproval of her widely loving, deeply opinionated, and strong-willed mother, which is definitely a better description than IMDb. Right. So step up your game, IMDb. Um, but <laughs> this movie was uh, the directing debut for Greta Gerwig. Uh, before this, she was a actress, and she might have had some writing credits here or there. Um, but she was mainly an actress, and now she uh, she's directing. She wrote and directed this by herself, which is awesome. Um, it stars Sersha Ronan. <laughs> obviously, her first name is a little hard to pronounce when reading it. Um, Lucas Hedges, who is A24 uh, Stan. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, big with the girls. Uh, Beanie Feldstein, who's great. Uh, Jonah Hill's sister. And uh, Laurie Metcalf, who was great as the mother. Oh, she's amazing. Can't believe you left her for last. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, she was good. She was good. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get into that, I guess, in a second. Um, but yeah, uh, this, yeah, Greta Gerwig, uh, this was her directing debut. Uh, she, but after this, she did Little Woman, the new uh, remake mm-hmm. of Little Woman. And now she's going to do the Barbie, the live action Barbie. Which is very interesting, going from Lady Bird, Little Woman, and then Barbie. I was looking at that today. I think, I don't think it's going to be what we're expecting. I don't know if it's an actual live action adaptation of Barbie. It seems like it's, it it seems like it's going to have like a spin on it. Yeah, I think it will. It's also starring Margot Robbie, who is perfect to play a live action Barbie. She's the ideal candidate, so that's awesome. And it's uh, she's actually writing it with Noah Baumbach, who I think they're still dating. I think. Uh, I don't know about uh, I don't know about the relationship status, but they've written a ton of movies together. Yeah, uh, Greta um, starred in a lot of his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they I know they had a relationship at some point. If they don't now, um, so they they are very close. Um, yeah, I th- I I I'm excited for what her career is gonna look like because. Uh, and this this ties into the critical reception stuff that I'm uh, about to get into. Uh, she with the camera, I don't think she necessarily is super artistic with it. You know, I think like her cinematography her strength, wise. Yeah, I think her strength in directing comes from the performances she gets out of actors. Yeah, I also think this Lady Bird specifically. Uh, didn't really need to have beautiful cinematography. I mean, yeah, but Little Little Women isn't like a, a, a work of art either. It's just a lot of great character performances, and it's yeah. a lot of he. She reuses in her two movies. She's used. She doesn't um, call out the cinematography. The it kind of just blends in, no. which which is good, which is what you want. With, yeah, with these character driven stories that she does, that's exactly what you want. Yeah. Um, and so this is a review written by Stephanie Zacharyk that uh, comes from Time magazine that I liked a lot. Um, and this is what I was talking about. It's They're talking about the scene where um, 
Sersha and Laurie Metcalf are arguing about the uh, $3 magazine in the supermarket, you know? Yep. And there's no lingering sentimental camera work, no telltale bummer music. Metcalf's face betrays nothing so obvious as frustration or anxiety. Instead, it's as if every molecule of her body has been, out of necessity, trained to count money. Meanwhile, when you're a young teenage girl wanting a magazine so you can look at makeup ads or pictures of rock stars, or fashion spreads featuring clothes you can't afford but want to ogle anyway, it is among the world's most straightforward, achievable desires. The, this measly dream costs $3, and Christine's mom, mother won't, can't let her have it. And that's what the movie is, pretty much. You know, that one scene, I think, lays it out really well. Yeah, it's very authentic, which I'm sure we'll get into. Right. A lot of it is, you know, a typical coming-of-age movie, I think. Um, oh, in terms yeah, 100%. Of, it's definitely a coming-of-age movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But in terms of, like, you know, oh, going on dates with boys for the first time and trying to find where you fit in and, like, oh, these are the popular kids. Maybe I have a chance for them to like me, but I got to ditch my one loser friend and... All stuff like that, and then also, it's a family drama, and it's about this really volatile relationship that Lady Bird and Marion have with each other, but at the core of it, there is a lot of love there, and while, you know, we can't necessarily understand a mother-daughter relationship, I feel like everybody has had experiences like this with their parents, you know? Like, it's you're not always going to see eye to eye, and sometimes your parents know more than you do, but you don't always see it that way. Yeah, like you mentioned, um, she Greta did use a lot of like sim- similar tropes that you do see in a lot mm-hmm. of coming of age movies. Like yeah, like like you said, hanging out with the popular kids, ditching your best friend, all that stuff. Um, but she made it feel like fresh and authentic, and kind of put like her own spin right. on it. So I didn't mind it as much. So with Greta, um, like. The, I think one choice that I noticed she made, because uh, I watched it right before we started this pod, and it was the first time I had kind of seen this, I th- I think that when she's in Sacramento, when all the movie is in Sacramento, especially towards the beginning of the film, it starts off, the camera's like really grainy. Like, almost like looking through like this these Mac lenses on Zoom at each other. Like, it looks really grainy, and then I feel like that grain... Either you get used to it, or it gradually fades out, and then I feel like when it's in New York, it's super clear. Oh, wow. I did not notice that. I did notice the grain in the beginning, but I thought that stayed. I I don't know, but now that you you said that, I feel like it did go away after we watched that. I was trying to look in the New York scenes and see it. I was like, I don't really notice it anymore. Like I can't tell if my eyes are used to it or if it's... The first time I really noticed it, was when Beanie Feldstein's like mom and stepdad pull up to give bring him the lunch, mm-hmm. and it's them standing on the hill like splitting the sandwiches and stuff. And yeah. I was like, oh, wow, this is like a super great movie. Which it's set in two thousand two, makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it, thematically it doesn't make sense for it to go to no grain because, while it is a coming of age movie, she's still kind of the same character at the end. She is, but she is a little bit more clear about, I think, who she is and what her values are. Yeah. Um, Like. Yeah. No, you're right. Well, um, so this is what I liked so much about uh, Saoirse's actual performance is the whole time she's like, 
she's doing a fantastic job of portraying somebody who really, really hates where she's from in Sacramento and thinks her parents or her mom specifically is trying to suffocate her and stifle all this creativity that she may or may not really have. Like it says she's like art. It said she's artistic in the IMDb documentary, but she doesn't really do anything artistic in the movie. Yeah, one of one of my favorite things about this movie is they never explain why she's called Ladybird. Oh, well, I was thinking about that, and I kind of like generically. I thought about it like, oh, because she needs to she needs to fly away. You know, that's probably why the name was chosen. She wants to fly away, mm. and maybe that's why she chose it for herself. But I do like that they don't like nobody's ever like, hey, why'd you name yourself Ladybird? Well, this is why, like you know, like yeah, like I never it's, delved into like her artistic side of things really at all, right. which is cool. Um, We're just kind of given. But I I like how you can also see like there's little things in the movie where you're like, oh, she kind of really does like this place. Like, oh yeah, I and then towards the, the end, right and. It's it's that's a lot of it. What this is about too is like relation to hometowns, especially like Sacramento is a smaller city. Kind of, I would say it's a little bit closer to a town, honestly, in California, especially compared to an LA or a San Francisco or a San Diego or something like that. But like, you know, I'm from a pretty small town in Georgia, and I grew up with people that are like, oh man, I hate it here. I can't wait to go to college. I'm gonna get out of here and never come back. And they're the first ones back on every break, every holiday. They're the first ones back here. Spend all their summers here. It's it's you can't. It's hard to escape it. Like you just want. You, it's comfortable growing up in a smaller town. I think. Mm. And I think, because and Greta Gerwig, this is like a kind of autobiographical movie, and so I, I think she definitely recognizes that and put that into this movie. Like the, the monologue at the end about driving around Sacramento for the first time and just like. Knowing all the natural bins and everything like gives me chills every time because yeah, like that I part hits hard. I had the same exact feeling driving around Athens for the first time. I mean, it's a tiny town, but like it feels gr- like you feel freedom, but you also feel like being able to drive finally. But you also feel like safety because you know where everything is, and it's it was a it's a great monologue. It's so well written. Yeah, like right now, I I'm I live in my hometown, which I, I grew up in. And it, it's kind of small, but I'm at, I'm at kind of where um, where Sersha or Ladybird is um, in the movie where I want to get the fuck out of here and just mm-hmm. go far away to the to the West Coast. Um, but yeah, maybe when I when I, eventually when I move, I'll have the same feeling as her. Who knows? Um, I mean, so Sersha Ronan's career, I feel like she's honestly had a strange career. Do you know what I mean when I... Yeah, I haven't it's... seen many of her movies before this. Uh, but I saw she's the made a lot woman. of them. She has. And I remember seeing her name, and I remember seeing her pop up in these movies. Um, mm-hmm. She was in that movie called Hannah, right? Right. Um, I remember seeing that one, and I never actually saw it. Um, but I remember seeing it, like, the trailers and the marketing and all that. I remember seeing yep. her pop up a bunch, but I never really had any interest. But Lady Bird, after Lady Bird, yeah, I'm, I'm full on. Um, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got season tickets. Um, <laughs> but it's, it, she was in this weird stage of like making, I think it was like kind of like caught in that like whole young adult era and mm. like, you know, like the host is one she was in. Oh, right. And I remember the marketing for that movie and had no intention of seeing it. And she was the star of it. Yeah. And I'm kind of, 
I'm glad that she got her like breakout from a role like this. Yeah. I think. I think it's a, a, a little bit more meaningful, you know, and shows that she has more range than like Jennifer Lawrence is a great actress, but I think she's always gonna be held a little bit back by the Hunger Games. Mm. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Like the first you know you like when a new Jennifer Lawrence movie comes out it's a very few, if any, amount of people that are like, oh, man, that girl from Mother is in a new movie. It's, <laughs> it's you know, it's, it's oh, man, Jennifer Lawrence, Katniss Everdeen making a new movie. Yeah, but also, for her defense, The Hunger Games is one of the biggest franchises in the world when it came out. So At that time, yeah. Oh, boy, those movies flopped. Like Daniel Radcliffe, he's a great actor, but he's always yeah. going to be known as Harry Potter. But that's what I'm saying. I'm glad... Saoirse Ronan was able to do something like this and not have a franchise take off, which is, I guess, is a kind of mean thing to say. Like, I'm sorry you didn't get to make hundreds of millions of dollars being this character, but... No, yeah, I know what you mean. Probably going to have a better career because of it. Like she's Yeah, she won't get typecast. She's done a bunch of... Um, I think this is going to be her second Wes Anderson. She was in Grand Budapest. Um, and, yes, I remember yeah, seeing her in that, actually. Yes. Yeah. Now she's going to be in French Dispatch. Um She's great in Little Women, too. She's the main character of that. Greta mm. Gerwig likes to work with a lot of the same people. Timothy Chalamet is in that one as well. Yep. Um, but Saoirse Ronan, uh, she was nominated for this, right? I don't know. I think she was... I think she was... Uh, Let's see, it was nominated she for was, five Oscars. Uh, best Picture. Yep, she was Best Actress. Um, mm-hmm. Laurie Metcalf was nominated, Greta was nominated for director, and screenplay. So, in hindsight, um, yeah, I like to like kind of look back at the Oscars, you know, and be like, all right, did they make the right calls here? Because mm-hmm. um, there's, you know, been tons of times that they haven't. Um, this is the Shape of Water year. Yep. Um, and great movie. This, the, the movie that, you know, the quote-unquote should have won movie i think when we look back in 10 years on this oscars it won't be Lady Bird, even though it's fantastic it's going to be get out and it's always been get out um really yeah i disagree what are you gonna say it's dunkirk yeah easily <laughs> get the hell out of here call me by your name or phantom threat too. honestly oh uh, yeah well pta um no that was a solid year your... It is. Oh, it was a great movie year. Darkest Hour. Uh, Darkest Hour. I don't know why that was there, but yeah. Um, Timothy Chalamet. I think he got. Oh, he didn't get supporting role for Lady Bird for actor, but he did get yeah. leading role for big. This was the Chalamet year. It was. Which this is the big break. We we can save that for a second. So actress in a leading role. It was Saoirse Ronan, Lady Bird. Meryl Streep, The Post, Sally Hawkins, Shape of Water, Margot Robbie, I, Tanya, Francis McDormand, Three Billboards. Yeah, it's stacked. It's stacked. It's a great year. That's yeah. such a good year. Oh, my God. I, they, any of them could have won that one. Um, I do think Laurie Metcalf should have won lead supporting role. Should have won supporting. She was great. Who won Sam Rockwell? Yeah, to be honest, I was not a fan of Three Billboards at all. So I, I liked it. Won. You don't think uh, Frances McDermott should have won? No. I mean, she did a fine For job. For role? I just hated her character, so I feel like I just I don't <laughs> think she should have won. But. Uh, it's hard for Frances McDermott to not win an Oscar. They seem to stick to her. No, yeah, they love her. So. Um, Laurie Metcalf, Alice and Janney won for I, Tanya. Janie? 
Yeah. Jamie. No, she was good in that. Yeah. yeah. She was good. I think Laurie Metcalf should have won for Lady Bird. Because Laurie Metcalf was, I, I thought she was amazing. I really did. Yeah, she, she did put on a great performance. Especially, my favorite scene was the end when she was driving and like crying and at the airport. Oh. She was so good during that. Oh, really it rips your heart emotions. out. Oh, yeah, God, and she of, just starts... Uh, yeah, speaking of the uh, the airport scene, I was um, that was like another trope that Greta kind of diverted, where they go into the airport and the mom doesn't go in, and she's like, wait, 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 and like she's gonna run in, she's gonna see Lady Bird, they're gonna have a big reunion, but she runs in and she's gone already, which I loved. Well, do you know like, why she's that. gone already? Why? Because this was this is set in two thousand two, they could. This is the first time they couldn't go. You couldn't walk somebody to the gate anymore because of TSA. Oh, right, right. But still, oh, there's usually just still those like romantic scenes, you know. But this is also something this movie made me think about. Because um, I wanted to kind of highlight the two, 2002 aspect of it. But yeah, because they did talk about 9-11 a lot, which makes sense. Even, right. Even since 9-11, I feel like there haven't been a ton of movies that are super faithful to like the you can't go through security thing. Like I feel like we're still getting movies where they're running through the gate. Yeah, that's true. And it makes no sense to me. Like I want a movie where somebody runs into the Atlanta airport just to get to the security <laughs> they get gate. Get tackled. That's right. Yeah, get tackled or just there. It's somebody. The girl they're trying to get to is waiting in the three-hour-long line for security because <laughs> it's a holiday weekend, and she's just at the like in the middle of it. And you're the little like ropes that they put up. You're flipping those. Like, <laughs> yeah, they release like, the German Shepherd. Just runs oh, after. Yeah. It bothers me. That's one of the tropes that bothers me because the that Atlanta does happen airport. A lot. The Atlanta airport is specifically really bad about TSA travel. Like, um, and I'm just like, this is just this is bullshit. This yeah. is not how this is happening. I mean, that's really any big airport. There's gonna be huge lines, but yeah. Ugh. Um, but I, so Lori Met Lori Metcalf's performance amazing. Um, I. Th- I was trying to figure out the whole time who's right and who's wrong in a lot of these situations. I I don't think there's an answer. I, I might be biased because I am obviously closer in age to Lady Bird's character. Mm-hmm. And when I watched this, you know, in, in 2017 when it came out, I was in high school or maybe right at the beginning of college. I can't remember. Of the same angst. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, oh, this mom, the mom sucks. And then looking at it now. The mom is really mean to her. Like, yeah, but it's all because I think the dad said this line. It's all because she cares about Lady Bird so much. Yeah, but also when she's like, looks, <laughs> when like Lady Bird's trying on a prom dress and she's like, oh, it's too tight, and she goes, well, maybe you shouldn't have had that second helping of pasta. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's not great. <laughs> um, and then like, Lady Bird's like, I'm gonna get a job, and it's I'm gonna make so much money, and I'm gonna pay you back for everything, and then I'm never gonna talk to you again. And the mom's like, I don't even think you can get a job like that. Dude, that was a sick burn. <laughs> and then like at the beginning, when she jumps out of the car, and she's like, she's like, you don't have the grades, you don't have the work ethic, you don't have all this stuff. Like you're gonna go to city college, then you're gonna go to jail, and you're gonna go back to city college, and then maybe you'll have an okay life. I was like, she's mean. Yeah, but I I saw a lot of. Um, Ladybird's mom and my mom, because I have a younger sister and I see them talk oh, a lot, yeah. and they do have the same banter. And it's all because 
the mom cares, obviously. No, I know, and I, I've, I, I've had similar conversations with my mom where, like, you, you know, tension, like, you're, a, you're a teenager, you know, your tensions are set on high all the time, and like, you're kind of looking for a reason to get mad, and then. Well, yeah, it's also like that conversation in the uh, that clothing store when they're arguing about the dress or whatever, and then immediately after they just, they just snap, yeah, snap right back, yep. and they're just like they're happy again, like, oh, I love this dress. Yeah. What do you it's think just, about this one? Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, it's just like yeah. that back and forth. That you're I like that have. a lot. Yeah. Um, but man, I mean, it it got it got dark, um, and then. I don't think it got too we... dark. It was pretty happy the whole time. I mean, obviously no, the I ending meant, was sad. I meant, or I meant some of the conversations. They were throwing heat at each other. Yeah. Um, So, the last thing I wanted to say, the the biggest problem I think I had with Saoirse Ronan's character was after they finished listening to The Grapes of Wrath, and she goes, I just want to live through something. I'm like, 9-11 happened a year ago. You're (laughs) living through it. You are living through it. At this point in America, people are constantly worried about planes falling out of the sky everywhere. Yeah, but that's something a teenager would say. <laughs> like, uh, you're lit. You're. It's happening. This is the living through it. This is this is the biggest. And also, I hope she's happy because now she's going through a pandemic. So, <laughs> as, a, as an adult, I hope you're happy. Yeah, she was also on the West Coast. 9/11 was on the opposite end of the country. But she wanted to go to New York. <laughs> she did. That's the point of that. <laughs> yeah, maybe because uh, because 9/11, there's stuff going on there. She was like, wants to get in the midst of it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Um, so we talked about how this is the Chalamet year. I mean, boy, is it the Chalamet year. He's great in this movie. I have not seen Call Me By Your Name, but it's on my list. But, Amazing I mean, he got that. nominated for an Oscar. Amazing that. Uh, I mean, when this guy came onto the scene, I think every... He's he's around our age, and I think every guy our age was like, well, it's over. This guy <laughs> won every girl ever. Every girl was talking about him. Literally every girl. I mean, he's a handsome man. He is, and he popped out of nowhere. And uh, one of my college roommates and I, we were watching the Dune trailer, and we looked at each other and we were like, he's going to have a, a somehow already have a renaissance and run the world again when Dune comes out. Like, it's over again. Yeah, no, nah, he, he's had an insane career. And it's already, and he's so young, and he, I, I am bought into the hype. I think he's a fantastic actor. Yeah, I think he, I think it's really good too. I think Call Me by Your Name shows that best. And I also yeah. I don't think he's hit his peak yet. I think he's still arising. No, um, his peak is going to be that Willy Wonka movie he's doing. Oh my god! Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> um, French Dispatch is another. He's he's got two movies coming out this year. Like, is he just gonna like drop bangers every few years, like at the same time? He's gonna be like the next uh, like Brad Pitt or George Clooney or something. He and he was in. He has four. Oh no! Wait, five movie credits, or no, four movie credits for the year twenty seventeen. One's a video short, and it is "Call Me by Your Name," then "Hot Summer Nights," which I have not seen. I saw that. Bird, all right. And "Hostiles." Did not see that one. "Hostiles" is a big movie. It's a western. Yeah. Uh, Christian well. Bale western. Yeah. And I mean, he. And also, he was in Interstellar way back. He was in Interstellar. That was his first kind of big role. Yeah. Uh, He didn't have a huge part in it, but. Still, he was in freaking Interstellar. 
Mm-hmm. He was steadily working, and then 2017 hits, he explodes. And that jawline came in. Oh, yeah. Don't Look Up is about to be fantastic. That's another one. That's that's this year, too. Mm-hmm. It's not... It's uh, His career no, is going to be so is good. not over. No. It's, his whole life is going to be a renaissance. But yeah, for this movie, I liked him. I thought he was good. He played a, a funny, emo, uh, uh, nihilist character. <laughs> the most stereotypical, every school has a kid like this. Like, it's, Your phone's it, a tracking device. Your phone, we bought them and we put them on ourselves. I don't like this capitalist society. Oh, yeah. And I love when Lady Bird is just like, I don't have a tracking device. And he's like, it's your phone, man. I'm like, what are, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, when she gets mad at him, she gets mad at him, like, about, like, the whole virginity thing. And mm-hmm. he just completely diverts it by going... What does he say? It's like, do you know how many people are dying in Afghanistan every day? Uh, yes. Yeah. Throws a random fact. Completely off topic to try and be like, you shouldn't be that sad about this. Like, oh my god. Yeah, he goes back to like reading his book right after or something. Yeah. It, he's always oh, reading a book. Ridiculous. He's always reading a book. He's. I love like at the party when he's off to the side like everybody's inside and he's sitting outside smoking hand-rolled cigarettes reading a paperback that he's got folded around yeah by the pool like who goes to the party imagine sort of walking into a party with a, with a book in their hand just i'm gonna go sit by the pool and read i'm gonna t- me and my hand-rolled cigarettes are gonna go out back <laughs> like what Okay, dude. But he also is a pretty smooth motherfucker. Like when he he's is. when when the manager at the coffee shop's like, um, get back to work, stop flirting. And Lady Bird goes, I wasn't. And he goes, Wish you were. I was like, That's a Brad Pitt line. Like, yeah. No, he was smooth. <laughs> he's 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 smooth. But ah, oh, man, it's hilarious. Um, he was fantastic. One underrated performance, I think. Was the dad? I think the dad's actually one of my favorite characters in this. Uh, he was Tracy awesome. Letts, I think his name was. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was incredible. Just all the scenes he was in, you could just like really feel what he was feeling at the time. Just like when he was like out of his job. <laughs> one of my favorite scenes is when um, Lady Bird and the mom are arguing, and he's playing solitaire in the background, and he's just like, "Huh, what's going on?" <laughs> But you can just really feel his emotion whenever he's like talking to Lady Bird or he's talking to the brother when they're both applying for the same job. You can just like really feel his emotion. I don't know. It's it really hit me. Yeah, the dad's great, and he's a great balancer to Laurie Metcalf's, you know, kind of chaotic, a little bit more chaotic, you know. Um, also underrated performance is the first. Um, in a second, but the first uh, acting director at the school. And he started crying during that. Like, oh, Stephen McKinley Henderson? Yeah. He put on a great he performance. Is, I love him so much. He is such a good actor. That, yeah, it's one of the things like I love about this movie is that it had so many unique characters that kind of just like came and went. Like they didn't really have like a, a fitting place in the plot line. They mm-hmm. kinda of just like they were there and then they weren't. Like the depressed priest, the the gay boyfriend, Luke, Lucas Hedges. Um, Timothy Chalamet, the emo boyfriend, he came and went too. He didn't really have like a full storyline. Um, yeah, like the dad who was out of work, the old, the adopted older brother, who with the weird girlfriend. 
Um, there's just so many like unique characters that were just like embedded into the plot that just like I don't know didn't have like a full storyline with them. They were just in and out. Right. It was all about, and I think a lot of it was about how Ladybird uh, connects to them and how she sees them. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is a. It's a and this. I mean, Greta Gerwig was a writer before she was a director. She knows how to write good characters, and she knows how to get those performances out of these actors. Um, Lucas Hedges, you mentioned him, was really good in it. Uh, the scene where he goes to talk to Lady Bird about, oh, yeah. you know, what happened. Also, the Denny's anarchy, theater kid anarchy scene when they're eating, you know, and they're oh. throwing fries and stuff. Right. I was, I've like... There's like a big like meme that goes around on like TikTok and Twitter about theater kids like keeping the Denny's employees at work for <laughs> way too long, and I was like, oh god, it's real. And <laughs> you see that clip that I think it went viral a few times, uh, where it's the BTS of Lady Bird, and it's um, the scene with Lucas Hedges and Sersha, and they're like running around in like that garden, and they're laying in the stars, and you can see Greta like talking to them, just being like, "Do this more, do this more," and like you see them having like a, a beautiful time, just like enjoying themselves. Mm-hmm. It just feels super authentic, which I think she was trying to go for the whole time. I mean, she's a she's a great character director. She directed the prom scenes in a prom dress. Like she loves her actors and wants to do what she can to get the most out of them. Yeah. I think she was wearing, like, um, a name tag the whole set, too. It's cute. Mm-hmm. Um, Beanie Feldstein. Really good. And yeah. this... Speak, somebody who's probably going to be in our lives for a while. That's uh, Beanie Feldstein is not... I don't think she's going to go anywhere. Well, yeah, she just got that lead role in the uh, FX series, right? Monica, she's Monica Lewinsky in American yeah. Crime Story. That's huge. Um, she's book and smart. then Booksmart, that's what I wanted to get into a little bit. Um, I love. Booksmart. I feel like I f- I do too. I feel like Booksmart. Not only part, it, obviously, it was had had some inspiration from Super Bad. You know, it's a similarly mm-hmm. told story. Um, but I feel like it took a lot from this too, from Lady Bird. I don't yeah. know why it just like felt the the same. I don't, I don't they know are very sense. similar movies. I mean, both female-led movies, coming-of-age movies. Um, but yeah, I do see what you mean, but I do think they had totally different energies. Uh, totally different energies. Like, this this one, I mean, it's kind of funny at points, but it's not It's not as funny as Booksmart. Booksmart is hilarious. Yeah, I also um, think Booksmart did more with, like, the visuals and the camera movement, too. There's yeah. a lot more going on. Um, Olivia Wilde, great great director yeah i'm excited to see what she does next um she's doing a spider a, a spider woman movie oh really yeah that's not her next one though, right isn't she doing one with uh harry styles it's like set it's like a murder mystery or something isn't she dating harry styles yeah they're engaged crazy. yeah um yeah she is i think that's finished though and is coming out soon yeah that's been much did info she about did it, she but direct and star in that or just direct i think she just directed i forget who's the female lead but i know harry styles is in it what's it called is it called don't worry darling it's, yeah that sounds right oh um i know who's in it it's the yeah, it's, it's olivia wilde and florence Pugh. florence Pugh. that's what i was thinking of yeah and chris prine oh nick kroll oh good great cast great cast yeah should be good 
Um, oh, but yeah, uh, I really loved um, uh, Phoebe's. Uh, oh, sorry, Beanie, not Phoebe. Um, Beanie's line is one of my favorites in the movie of Ladybird when she when um, it's like that scene with the lunch in the beginning when she's pulling up and uh, Sarah goes, "He's not." He, he, um, Beanie calls um, the the new boyfriend uncle, and Sarah goes, oh, yeah. "He's not your uncle," and, he, and she goes, "I'm just trying something out." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so funny. she gets off some great jokes in this movie, real subtle ones like that. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I love her. I, I hope she's in a lot more stuff, and I think she will be. Um, yeah, she's hilarious. I okay. I really think there was a subplot that they either just didn't finish filming or cut with her character and like the teacher, because that was weird. Oh yeah. Well, I no, think that's I, why. She, I think I don't what? think there was because it ended at like a good point because it ended right after the play and they're like talking back and forth oh, yeah. and, and and she sees that she, he has a wife, she's pregnant, and that this wasn't going anywhere, and that was the end of that. You know, it was just weird watching that guy like kind of he was like openly flirting. With oh her. yeah, when, like, when she handed him the test, it was like great job. Great job. And then, like, it's like, all right, I lost my grade book, so tell me your grades. And you see, you had seen already that she made an A minus. And so she goes, Oh, it says A minus. She goes, I think it was an A. And you're like, Hang on. Yeah. Hang on a second. <laughs> this is. My brightest student. Oh, yeah. No one says that anymore. <laughs> Calling her jewels and shit. Like, I was like, Oh, yeah. She, yeah. He was the only one who did that. I, ooh, ooh, creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was good though, the teacher. Um, I mean, just fantastic um, performances all around. There, there's nobody. There's nobody I would look at in this movie and be like, "Oh, that was," a, that, they did a bad job. There, I don't think there's anybody that you can say that about. No, I think that's what this movie had. What it had going for it. It was just a very warm, wholesome, coming of age, authentic movie. It had, a, it had a lot of emotions. It was hilarious. It was heartfelt. Mm-hmm. It was sad. It was happy. It was just a. It was a very good. I love how it had no concrete plot line either. It was just like. Right. It was very relatable, um, and I love that about it. Well, that's. I mean, that's what. I, I, one of my favorite things. <laughs> that I made me laugh the hardest probably was, the <laughs> the deuce is a parking lot. We we just went from a parking lot to a different parking lot, and I was like, that's high school. <laughs> Yeah, that's where we hang that's out. That's what you do. It's the parking lot. <laughs> oh my god, we did like hang out in the parking lots at our school until we were told to, like made to leave, and then we'd go to like the Walmart parking lot. That's the spot. You just go to like these huge parking lots and just hang. Because oh. you had nowhere else to do. Like, what else do you do in your small ass town? I know it's, ugh. but it was perfect. It was uh, everything about it was perfect. Um... One thing so, that I, what I loved about this, actually, yeah. this is cinematography. Um, the first shot in the movie is Sersha and the mom um, laying together in bed. And it's mm-hmm. like one shot of them. And not the last shot, but one of the last shots was the car scene where you see them individual, like driving individually, and they're just separated. And it was really cool because this really is like a mother-daughter movie. And it kind of shows how like they were together and now they're separate, but they're still together in a way. Was, I really liked how it ended. Yeah, cinematography is why we brought you on here. I'm glad you finally made a contribution that way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the ending, by the way? Did you I like it, it a like, lot. Was it too abrupt for you? No, I thought it was. It, it she 
the way I saw it was she had come to terms with who she is. She's not Lady Bird, no matter how bad she wants to be. She is Christine. She's accepted herself as she is. She because I feel like high school, like the high school scenes, that part of her life is her trying to like maybe you know take hold of something greater or something. Yeah, not I think saying, she was trying to get some like not drama, but she, like excitement in her life. Right. I think she was trying to make her life more than it was, but mm-hmm. I think the ending of it, the way I see it as, is she's accepted who she is at that time and knows that her life will be what it's going to be. Not to say that it can't be great, but she can't actively like look for things that are going to like push it forward. She needs to take chances as they come to her. And not be, like, following this guy from the band around and, like, being like, okay, this is the guy I think I need to lose my virginity to. And, like, I'm going to hang out with the popular kids and all this stuff. She knows to, like, do what is true to her, I think. And that's why she starts going by her, like, true given name. Mm. Yeah. And also gets her stomach pumped on the same night. Oh, that's – I was like, yeah, college, baby. First night of college, you're getting alcohol poisoning. (laughs) Like, let's go. I love the guy's reaction, too. It's like, oh, oh, God, I'm out of (laughs) here. Oh, man. Uh, (laughs) I think he's the one who calls the ambulance. I'd hope so. Yeah, no, totally. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I love the ending when she's, like, hungover. She walks right out of the hospital, goes right to the church. Her mascara's all over her. It was was a beautiful scene. That's another thing I think is, um, I don't know if she really ever, like, religion isn't talked about a ton in the movie, even though she gets to go to a Catholic church. Yeah, you're right. But, and we're never really clear on, like, what her stance is with her faith or anything. Yeah. But, while I don't know if the church is, I, I don't think it's supposed to be her, like, coming to terms with God or anything, but I think it is her, like that's a part of her life from home. Like she was all, you know, they had chapel every day at the, at the Catholic school and that's just something she recognized and she just had an experience that she probably wasn't very prepared for. Yeah, and, I totally agree. I think it was just like resemblance of home. Right. And when she got to New York already, she had decided to start going by Christine again. Cause mm. she starts to say lady bird and it says it's Christine. Right. But she doesn't fully commit because she then says she's from Sacramento, and the guy says, what? And she goes, San Diego. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's Which line. is really funny. Um, yeah. I, 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 and so I think when she hangs up the phone, if, I thought watching it again, when that phone clicked, that's when it was going to cut, and then it takes a second, and she, it looks like she gets herself ready, and she takes a deep breath, and then right before she exhales, it cuts, and you hear her exhale. And then... Yeah, I, oh, I do you like, hear I, exhale afterwards? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think uh. so. I just I just watched it. I could be wrong, but I was like, that's her. I think getting ready to like work on being more secure in herself and get ready to take this next step in her life. Yeah, that is the that is the coming of age moment. It's right at the end. I think. No, yeah, I agree with that. Also, I could have watched like another three hours of this. I would totally watch her through college. I, yeah, so see, we could have gone on forever. It'd be. I feel like it'd be so funny. I feel like it'd be a great movie. Lady Bird 2. Called Christine. I... <laughs> Lady Bird 2. Um, colon Christine. Yeah. It's like crossed out and like Christine's scribbled over it. Like <laughs> yeah. Lady Bird. <laughs> College get years. It. Yeah, get it in production. 
Um, so where does this fit? And uh, uh, I'm not going to make you rank coming-of-age movies, but is this like kind of more towards your, the top of your list or where in coming-of-age movies? That's tough because I'm a sucker for coming-of-age movies. I love coming-of-age. Um, it's definitely up there. It's definitely – it's not my favorite, um, but it's definitely up there just because I love how relatable it is. The screenplay it was awesome. The dialogue was amazing. Um Oh, also, one thing we, we didn't touch on was the score. John Bryan did the score, who is an incredible mm-hmm. composer. Um, he did Mac Miller's uh, recent album. Uh, he did Punch Drunk Love, Eternal Sunshine, Synecdoche, mm-hmm. New York, uh, Magnolia. Um, so, but yeah, I thought his score was, it wasn't too bombastic like it kind of usually is in his movies. It was more subtle, and I love that. I think it fit perfectly. Um, um... And another thing on the music, the score is great. The the soundtrack is really good. The needle drops and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Like crash into me, like just a great early two thousand song. Yeah, perfect coming of age songs to throw in there. Um, but yeah, overall, it's definitely up there, but it's def- it's not top five or anything like that. I'd probably say top ten. Right. Uh, Crimea River was another good shout in that movie. At yeah. The party. That was a great shout. Um. It's it's not it's not in my top five either. Um, the top five, I mean, the top five is really hard to crack because I mean, it's like you know, it's like super bad and Breakfast Club. Mm. Um, I put Heather's up there. I think Heather's is a great one. Stay Boyhood is me. up there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, I mean, it, it, it's a, I mean, Mean Girls is a great one. Easy mm-hmm. A is a great one. That's one of my favorites. Um, that's kind of getting more into teen movies than. I guess coming of age, but a lot, there's a big Venn diagram there. For me, it's like but, Boyhood, The Way Way Back, Kings of Summer, Short Term Twelve, um, mid nineties, mid nineties. Yeah, I don't know if that'd be top five, but yeah, um, that's just another great yeah. one. Um, it's hard. To, it's hard to. I think it's hard to rank these in general, but I think it definitely has its place among that. It could be the best. Like one of the. It's it's one of the best. It's not. Top five, but I could I could totally see it being in someone's top five. I would totally understand it. Yeah. I think it probably I mean movies we just listed are like heavily male movies. Like so of course we don't relate to it as much. Yeah, that's true. Well, except for me, because I had Mean Girls and Easy A on there, but there but even those I think are even a little bit more relatable for us. Cause those are more comedic ways of looking at stuff and also, yeah, this is definitely not a female centric. Yeah, this is definitely yeah. a female centric movie. Um, and so I could totally see it being in tons of people's uh, top five, and it's it's a really fantastic one. Um, yeah, and I'm, my sister I'm, loved it. I don't know if my sisters have seen this actually. I have, I, I need to make them. My watch sister it is a huge it. Chalamet fan, so she had to watch this one. Um, I remember I recommended this movie to somebody. A year ago and uh like they were just like oh what movie should i watch like i'm looking at we're like her and one of her friends and i was she, she was like we're looking for like a rom-com or like a coming of age type movie or something like that i was like oh watch Lady Bird. it's on netflix it's just a really really good story about this girl and her senior year of high school and they were like that movie fucking sucked and i was like what, what? whoa <laughs> they said they turned it off halfway through i was like what are you doing well, what I what I've realized is, especially with coming of age movies where they don't really have a plot, 
some people just mm-hmm. don't like those type of movies yeah. and they tune out immediately because there's no story to follow and there's no hook or anything like that so it's, it's not for everyone if they ask me for another recommendation I'm telling them a net to spot them <laughs> now tell them uh, Midsommar or something oh Jesus that's that's gonna be on the on a horror poll for sure. I'll watch that movie a million times. Oh yeah, great one. Um, I'm really glad we got the chance to talk about this though. Yeah, I'm actually shocked it won. I didn't think it would it would win, but I thought it, it was due. It was it was one of the more popular ones. Um, we've hit a bunch of good scenes and quotes. Do you have Do you have any more that you wanna throw out there? Um, any more Chalamet sayings? Uh, teletype, bro. That's hella tight, bro. That's a great show, eh? Hella tight. I love the way he talked. Um, Now, besides the uncle quote, um, this one's more deep, but it's when the dress scene, which we were talking about, um, Mm -hmm. besides the pasta line, um, I liked when the mom said, I want you to be the best version of yourself. Then she goes, what if this is the best version? That's, yeah, that's a very, and that's a very, like, you know, real thing uh that you know people that age worry about like you always hear like you know you're gonna do greater things than this but when you're a teenager you're like well what if i don't yeah you know what if this is the most that i can do and i think that's why that's like the epitome of the film almost that quote because that's why they're conflicting in a way because the mom just always wants to for the daughter to be the best version of herself wants to care about her and she's ladybird's kind of saying this is me this is who i am mm-hmm. that's that balance it's it's a lot to think about. It's 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 a heavy. It's you can look at it as a kind of a light movie at points, but it gets it'll get heavy when it needs to to yeah. nail nail some points across. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite one of my favorite parts, just going back to the one of the more funny lighter parts, is when uh, Timothy Chalamet goes. They're talking about the prank she did to the nun. And she goes, he goes, what what you do is very baller. You're very anarchist. <laughs> Yeah, and then Ladybird goes, "Yeah, fuck him." Just and you're like, "What?" And then Timothy Chalamet, "Don't worry, I'm not gonna snitch on you." And I'm like, "Y'all go to a Catholic private school, <laughs> talking about being an." It's and that's and that's also what being a teenager is too. You're like, "Oh, everything's anarchy," but like Kyle's like a rich kid. Like, he's... also, I think everyone can relate to that scene where like you have a crush on someone and you try to like act more like them. Oh, she's trying to fit in a hundred percent. She's like, "Yeah," because she, she's so unnaturally. I can't deliver it the way she does. She's just like, "Yeah." Fuck them. Like, <laughs> yeah. And she looks nervous saying it. It's so great. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, it's just a. I can't stop saying it's a fantastic movie because it really is. Um, which kind of I guess is a testament to how many great coming of age movies there are because this isn't cracking our top fives. Um, but I am. I'm. I'm glad we got the chance to talk about this because I think there's a lot of conversations that can be had about it. I mean, I think we've talked about this. A lot longer than a ton of other movies we've talked about so far. Yeah. I mean, yeah, um, it's definitely, there's a lot to talk about because there's a lot of, there's no plot. So it's just like all these yeah. different moments and scenes. And there's so many good ones. Um, so I think for the poll next week, unless you have any objections, uh, we're going to add in Room as the last option. Let's do so it. So the, fe- the feel good has gone way down <laughs> on this poll. It is so. Uh, I believe now it is mid '90s. Room, Swiss Army Man, and American Honey. 
solid list. Oh, by the way, quick little tidbit I was reading today. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, I don't know if this is 100% true, but I'm pretty sure it is, that Ted Lasso, the, the TV show, have you, do you watch Ted right. Lasso? Uh, I am not, I'm one episode behind, but yeah. Cool, yeah, I, th- I think I am too. But yeah, it's yeah. a super positive show. It's obviously done super well. This past weekend, it just won a crap ton of Emmys. Um, and because of the show, all these movie studios, including A24, are now looking for super positive, happy movies. Because A24 has been going down this kind of like dark lane with like The Lighthouse, Midsommar. It's very like uh, depressing and kind of sad movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they're they're really looking for those lighthearted, kind of like Lady Bird, uh, more happy, uplifting movies, which is interesting. Um, yeah, it's funny because I think a lot of the more depressing ones are my favorites. They put out like those are always the best. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the Lighthouse is so good. The Witch is so good. Oh, the, the, yeah, they're the best for me too. But like, um, I think just Ted Lasso because it did so. It was so successful financially and just so popular that now all these studios are kind of looking for these more positive uh, movies. Well, scripts. not to be a cliche, not to be a cliche, but I mean, it's what we need right now. We're not in a very positive time. Nobody no. wants to watch. Like it makes sense. I'm sh- there's going to be an influx of super positive movies, and there's also going to be an influx of literally like oh, we're dealing with this quirky problem in a pandemic, and I'm going to punt those movies into the sun and never watch them. I don't know. I think studios are on the same page with the audience where they don't want to see those COVID movies. I think I saw something for a TV show in development called Pandemic. And it's about a funny, like, oh, we're in quarantine. Oh, no. I'm probably wrong. (laughs) Where's the quirky fit? There's going to be a quirky family sitcom where the kids are like, oh, scrolling through TikTok, let's do this challenge, and then the uh, dumb dad can't do it. Like, I just I just wrote a pilot right there. I just wrote a pilot. I don't want to see any kids in masks. I'm not going to watch it. If um, I will say, like, the mask thing, Shang-Chi used it really well because, like, masks have been a thing in, like, eight. Like, eight like, there are did masks you not notice Shang-Chi? that in Shang-Chi? Yeah, a lot of them. But in... But I, I bet you didn't notice it because, like, in China and, like, you know, parts of Asia like that, like, they, because of the smog and stuff, they just wear them. Right. And so they were able, and, like, it really had become more of a, like, the fashionable masks and stuff with designs had become kind of a thing. Oh, yeah. But I remember, like. Asia was always at, rocking it. At the compound, um, at the end of the movie, the, during the training scenes, they, they're wearing a, a few people can be seen like other like ninjas are like wearing masks. They're not the blue, the regular blue masks though, right? No, 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 no. Okay. no. All of them have like a design and like the okay. people and like the fight, like the the Fight Club scene. Yeah. Like there's tons of people wearing masks in that and like, mm. but you know they'll be like spray painted like gold stripes on a black mask okay. or something like yeah. to go with the outfits and stuff yeah i'm talking about just like the straight up blue mask because i think that's what everyone knows like, uh we're gonna we're gonna see it yeah, I'm, I'm telling you buddy get ready for it uh i'm gonna be closed um unless we get like a, a mid 90s or i haven't seen american honey so i don't know if that one has any positive vibes to it if we get like a room if we get if we get if we get room winning before we go into, into Halloween month, it's going to be a tough four weeks, five weeks. 
room is freaking sad. I haven't seen it in a while, but I still know that feeling, man. Um, I'm I'm probably gonna throw a horror comedy and a uh, week in there for us to have a week <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what wins. I'm hyped for any of these movies, so go vote yeah. on our Twitter. All right. Um, you got anything else? I think I'm good. Yeah, same. All right. Well, this has been Animation Broadcast and Cinema. Check out, check us out on Twitter. Uh, I am at BoAllen22 on Twitter. Jacob, you want to plug you? J-R-O-D-I-E-R 416. Yep. Uh, you'll see us updating about the show. You can also follow the show at ABC Movie Show on Twitter and the magazine at Album Book Club 1 on Twitter. Um, that's all I got. Yeah, go check us out. Watch some movies. Jacob, it's been a pleasure as always. Till next time, my friend. See you next time.